Jen, it's Fantasy Festivus and time to air your fantasy grievances. Who let you down this week? Woo, oh boy. I'm going to go with the entire Green Bay Packer offense. <laughs> First of all, okay, Aaron Rodgers was 12th in the Green Bay offense in fantasy points. 12th. Okay? I mean, that's like, an ins- I mean, when I saw that, yeah, 12th. He had uh, 1.3 um, in regular leagues. He got me negative 9.18 in Scott Fishbowl. But uh, yeah, so he, Adams, and Aaron Jones all combined for a hearty 12.6 half PPR points yesterday. From three guys that, well, two that are pretty much first rounders and then Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, my Festivus airing of grievances week one goes to the entire Green Bay Packers offense. Excellent, excellent. I think everybody can probably get on board with griping about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay offense, especially John Paulson, our own resident (laughs) Green Bay Packers fan. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles, and with me are my excellent co-hosts, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the like the big reveal, quote-unquote, of week one. Uh, I think so far the action has been great. I mean, the injuries have been brutal, but I'm really enjoying actually seeing live football and being able to actually see takes that have something to do with things we're seeing on TV versus just you know completely coming out of nowhere wonderful to be able to it's so awesome being able to sit down and talk with jen jen how are you doing i know you're busy as all get out but are you enjoying week one and all the content that's been coming out for the season so far yes i am super psyched um as everyone to move on from adp and you know what ifs and and what's going to happen to actual football super exciting um week one you know listen as, as we'll get into it as we go further on had a share of of ups downs surprises things that we knew would happen, things that we wouldn't happen, whatever. So it's exciting to actually get into it. I'm, I'm ready to get it going uh, even further down the road. So meanwhile, with all the surprises and everything that happened, Chris, let's talk about what happened. What, what do you think was like the biggest maybe surprise of, of, of the week? The biggest surprise of the week, at least to me and unfortunately to my wallet, was the fact that Tennessee couldn't show up against Arizona like on Sunday. I really thought that given the way that the team was set up, I mean, the the offensive coordinator, or not an offensive coordinator, uh, but the um, Arthur, with Arthur Smith leaving, their tight ends coach, then uh, offensive coordinator, then ascends into the head coach position. Looked like we were still going to get at least the blueprint of Arthur Smith's offense from the previous years, that efficient offense that we love for Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, so on and so forth. They add Julio Jones, and no, like nothing worked out. I mean, absolutely none of it. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, like while he hasn't been like a aggressive passer, but most of his passes were five air yards or less, Derrick Henry was got stuffed on multiple runs from the one-yard line. A.J. Brown get, didn't get a target, his first target, until the second quarter when they were down 17-0. Julio didn't get his first target until just a few plays later. I mean, this was a team that was third in offensive yards per drive last season, and they only had 19 yards per drive on Sunday. I mean, Chandler Jones, who has, like, what, five sacks or something ridiculous. I mean, they were 30th in neutral passing rate. It was just... Nothing that we expected from a team that we had such high hopes for in the fact that they added another playmaker in Julio Jones and just none of it wound up working out. Chester freaking Rogers led the team in receiving yards. I mean, what are we supposed to do with this information? I just don't I don't understand what is going on in Tennessee. And 
I don't know how I'm just I'm just hoping we can throw away week one for the Titans and just act like that didn't happen at all. I want to start a uh, like a support group uh, for for quarterbacks who like what happened to Ryan Tannehill happened right like like I need like Cam Newton to be to to like be there he'll lead the group and he just you just go in he's just saying Von Miller over and over again Daniel Jones you know <laughs> mm-hmm. got sacked by Hassan Reddick last year like five times Chandler Jones sacked Ryan Tannehill five times five times on Sunday that's insane Ryan Tannehill probably just woke up in the middle of the night three times saying just uh Chandler Jones Chandler Jones Uh, yeah his wife is probably a mess right now worried about him poor (laughs) Ryan Tannehill for that I this worries me it worries me a lot because yes we, we thought the Cardinals defense could be better we thought that J.J. Watt uh, would probably help at least take some double teams off Chandler Jones. Obviously, he's not going to have five sacks every week. But uh, the Titans' offensive line is supposed to be able to provide holes for Derrick Henry to do a nice conservative game to keep Ryan Tannehill from turning the ball over. And if he's going to get sacked five times in a game, like that's not something that Ryan Tannehill is going to be able to do and play winning football. So I'm I'm worried about that, and I, I'm going to have to do some research about offensive line, talk to a buddy Justin Edwards, and figure out mm-hmm. just how concerned this is moving forward. I'm with you. This is this is shocking for me and very concerning. I agree. I'm 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 as, as someone that has a lot of AJ Brown and also has Derrick Henry actually on rosters. Um, it's definitely concerning moving forward to see if this was kind of a one-off or if we're going to have this issue the entire season uh, with the line and Tano. All right, and so the second surprise that I've got for this past week is, I guess, the other team that was affected by Arthur Smith. So Arthur Smith leaves Tennessee, and they're bad, but he goes to Atlanta, and they're also bad. And this was a team that we had thought was going to be one of the league leaders in neutral passing they had been top five for the past three seasons straight and they were 28th in neutral passing rate this past week matt ryan was felt uh was uh, he was dealt pressure on like the 10th highest pressure rate on sunday sacked i think there was this uh, hilarious picture of him just like lying on the floor look like uh, look like an absolute murder scene like uh, but it was a just a, one of the poorest outings that i could have imagined for a team that drafts a tight end with the highest draft capital in I don't know how many decades even though Kyle Pitts was heavily involved in the passing offense they were still dead last in EPA per play Matt Ryan was inaccurate 25th in completion percentage over over expected I mean we saw Ridley involved early in the game he literally got like the first target of uh, from Matt Ryan which was the exact opposite of what we saw for AJ Brown in Tennessee but again I'm not upset about that at all and yet, afterwards, like, he fizzled out. We saw the rest of the pass catchers getting involved. Mike Davis, Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst got involved as well. So it's just the plethora of other pass catchers that we saw, despite, like, the complete drop in skill talent from Pitts and Ridley to the rest of the guys, we didn't see Ridley prominently featured like we expected to see him featured. We didn't see him really ascending to that target share that we expected now with Julio out. It was just he was a part of the team. He was a, like he was he was the lead target uh, receiver, but it's just we didn't see that like say DeAndre Hopkins level of targets right like from years past that we'd expected to see. So it's just I'm also concerned about Atlanta's offense like as a whole. I'm hoping it's not because of the massive like uh, defensive line offensive line like mismatch that they had with Philadelphia, but it's not like it's going to be getting any better. 
I mean, there's if I'm remembering correctly, they're supposed to face Tampa like in week two. So don't really see any, I guess, uh, any easy pass to victory for them there. So it just, again, if you invested heavily in Calvin Ridley, okay, he might be one of those guys that you can you can trust or at least you're kind of forced into like playing week in and week out. Maybe Pitts as well. But the ancillary guys, even from like Mike Davis on, it just becomes much more difficult to trust at least the offensive output for that entire squad. So outside of those two main guys that we drafted the highest, I just I can't really recommend. I mean, having to I guess rely on them on a week to week basis, unless you don't have other options. I mean, I don't know, Jen. Like, what did you what did you see out of Atlanta? Um, yeah, very similar. It was really frustrating. I actually did invest heavily in Calvin Ridley this offseason, so I'm hoping that that he is okay. Um, and I agree with you. I, I don't. I, I think the rest of those guys are questionable. Um, the one person that I think is kind of intriguing to me is Cordero Patterson. I feel mm, like yeah. somehow he may have a path to do something because they have to. They may have to get creative and do other things because what they did yesterday did not work. Uh, I'm very happy that I did not. Uh, as as you guys well know, I was not on board with Kyle Pitts. So um, you know seeing that he was not this generational situation from week one uh, made me a smidge happy. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think he will be fine for those. I, I still don't think he was worth, you know, the third and fourth round that he was going, but uh, I think he'll, he'll even out and, and, and at least be productive for people that did draft him. Sure. And like Pitts himself, uh, he had the fourth most slot targets for all tight ends in week one. We saw him being moved around quite a bit. He should, like, he was the second most targeted, like, pass catcher on the team. So at least from an opportunity standpoint, we would at least expect that to continue to, like, continue, continue to be the case for Pitts, like, moving forward. But, I mean, Brandon, like, how are you approaching this Atlanta offense now with yet another tough defense, like, moving ahead in week two? And do you see, like, I guess any positive notes to take away from them after this last week? Well, uh, you mentioned the, the targets that Pitts got, which I think are very encouraging. And I think uh, if anyone is selling Pitts, now is a good time to buy. Uh, because I do think the Falcons will figure it out. Uh, I don't think they're going to be any good. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, but I do think that as the season goes on, the Falcons offense, uh, and Matt Ryan specifically, will figure out how to put some points on the board, how to... Uh, stack up some yardage so I think Calvin Ridley is going to be fine and I think Kyle Pitts is going to be fine um, now fine means kind of where Jen and I had him all offseason right whereas oh an intriguing piece interesting maybe the wide receiver too in uh, in Atlanta but probably not going to break and shatter all the all-time receiving tight end records which is really what he needs <laughs> to do to fulfill the expectations uh, that were set out for him I uh, Mainly with, with Tampa on the slate, I'm I'm going to probably also buy Mike Davis a week from now when he really struggles in Tampa because uh, Tampa is amazing against the run. They bottled up Zeke. And so next week when Mike Davis has 11 carries for 30 yards or something like that, I'm going to happily go out and see if anyone's off, uh, you know, you know trying to get off him at that point too my big concern Russell Gage with two targets that's all he had that's my concern I I mm -hmm. uh you know Atlanta they came out flat and they stunk and it was surprising against an Eagles defense that wasn't good last year we'll see how much of that is uh the Falcons and how much of that is improvements yeah. by them but Chris are you nervous about Russell Gage because Russell Gage was being drafted as you know a wide receiver three Right, and I guess for me, I'm not as worried about him because I never really bought into the Russell Gage hype. Uh, sorry for those folks <laughs> that did. I didn't just he's, For me, it was just 
I don't see the talent level really matching mm-hmm. the ADP. And I was much happier under like at least looking at it's just him and a bunch of guys. Or it's 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 Ridley, it's Pitts, and then a bunch of guys, and you can ins- and a bunch of pass catchers, and you can insert Mike Davis in that conversation as well. And so if I was going to invest in any of the Atlanta passing game outside of those two guys at cost, just give me the cheapest guys. And so I know it's like a, a faux pas or like or almost like borderline illegal to talk about best ball now that the regular season has started, but I was the one <laughs> drafting Hayden. Hurst Nothing illegal and, here in this pod, Chris. We can talk about that. Hopefully that's the case. I mean, or like Olamide Zacchaeus. Like, give me those guys that I think will eventually, like Hayden Hurst, I think had like three or four mm-hmm. targets this past week. So it's just give me those guys that are going to be at least involved in the passing game, but I don't have to pay this, uh, the, the, you know, this bloated cost just based off of the fact that everybody projected this wide receiver two role on top of him. Without really understanding like what the like what talent level Gage possesses like inherently, and then what that offense could possibly look like, because there was a in the range of outcomes like the Atlanta Falcons offense completely bottoming out, which we saw yesterday. That was in the range of outcomes, and so if that's the case, then a guy like Gage kind of falls out from it because we haven't seen Gage be effective or efficient on his own. He hasn't been able to create on his own. So I'd rather just take the possible empty volume from some of those guys that are uh, that would be going later in drafts without having to assume the risk of just taking of just drafting Gage and saying, "Yep, he's the wide receiver too." So I'll just go ahead and draft him. So I get it. I'm hoping that it changes, and some of those drafters that that did draft him, like they get they do get paid off. But again, like in games like that, in game scripts like that, it's difficult for me to be able to buy into a guy where. We just weren't all that sold on the talent level to begin with. Um, I will jump in for a second and say that uh, I'll give you a sneak little preview, but my my dead weight report that is dropping tomorrow has Russell Gage as one of my drops. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I guess so, there's that. Yeah. So he's he's in there. <laughs> Jed's not afraid of some spicy dead weight takes. I, I, I've, no, I've read I've your dead weight takes before. Beforehand, and like, I've seen her, like I've seen the article come out, like the cover, uh, the cover boy, on some of those like dead weight reports, I'm like, "Ooh, these this is spicy, like right yeah. now. Yeah, this, this, this is good stuff. I like it. I mean, but I if like we're conc- if we're concerned about Gage's targets, and let's talk about like my final surprise in Austin Eckler, who got zero, I mean zero Crazy. targets like on Sunday. I mean, Wild. this was supposed to be like a from a if you're playing in PPR leagues and you were sitting at like the nine or like eight, nine, 10, 11 spot, you were excited to draft Austin Eckler in the first round because that was what you expected, at least from a usage standpoint and what you can rely on week to week. Now he most likely, he kind of bailed you out because he wound up getting into the paint. And I think he had what, 11, 12, like PPR points. But this was a guy that since 2019 averaged 6.7 targets per game. And now he went all the way down to zero in week one. Now, he did wind up getting uh, some of that red zone uh, red zone usage that we had expected. Uh, we saw him used well ahead of any of the other running backs that were behind him. Justin Jackson only got one carry from within the 20. Uh, Larry Roundtree got involved, but he also had, had just one touch from within the 20. Austin Eckler got five uh, five touches from within the 20. So this is like the, the balancing act, or like the, we sacrificed all of his passing usage for red zone usage instead and to be quite honest i would much rather have the passing usage back hopefully that changes 
now with this new offense with uh, with Joe Lombardi being a part of it, this new coaching staff, Mike Williams now being a like a more uh, like more prominent featured piece of that offense. We'll see if that's now like if that's a byproduct of it or if it's just the way that the game script went against the Washington football team. So I'm somewhat somewhat concerned for him moving forward. I mean, Jen, where are you at with Eckler? Yeah, I mean, listen, we can't we can't panic for Eckler after one week. I'm I'm kind of hoping, like you said, that it was more of a game script and more of a tough uh, opponent. You know, we'll have to see kind of when they face different defenses that are not the Washington football team. And kind of see. I can't imagine that they don't utilize him in the passing game. I feel like it would be, um, yeah, it would be strange for them not to use him moving forward. I think it was just kind of a weird anomaly. At least I hope so for people that did roster Eckler, because uh, if you did, you were banking on you know him being involved in those passing downs. And if he's not, you're not going to get the value for what you paid for him, which is probably a first or early second rounder. Right, and so. Brandon, looking at some of this usage, I mean, if we are at least somewhat shaken by Eckler's usage in the passing game, are you excited about any of the guys sitting behind him? Like, are you excited about uh, Larry Roundtree? Are you excited about Justin Jackson? Or would you rather just wait, see how this Eckler thing plays out, and you're not really interested in picking up either of those two guys off the waiver wire? So, eight. Carries for Larry Roundtree was interesting to me. He's kind of a banger. Seems like the kind of player who does fit well next to Eckler, right? Because he's uh, what he does well is the thing that historically, anyway, they don't want Eckler to do. But uh, like you said, that changed <laughs> on Sunday. So uh, the thing that gives me hope about Eckler is only one running back target happened. That's it. There was only one target to the running back position at all. I'd be more concerned if Justin Jackson had eight targets and mm-hmm. Eckler didn't have any, or if Larry That's Roundtree right. had a bunch of targets. So uh, because there was only one running back target, maybe I it makes me think this is just an anomaly. Uh, I'm probably not grabbing any of these guys in redraft. I'll, I'll throw a little little waiver money at Larry Roundtree in the dynasty league, just in case he does kind of takes a stranglehold of that. Uh, it is interesting to me that Joshua Kelly was inactive. Uh, even though that's kind of what the beat writers were indicating heading into the season, that Kelly was way down the depth chart. It's still something I feel like he was still probably the most drafted of those uh, after Eckler players. So that was interesting to me. Uh, But yeah, I I wouldn't be, if I'm going into like prize picks or something like that, and I'm doing um, the the unders and the overs, I'm probably not pounding the under on Austin Eckler targets next week. That's probably not what I'm doing. And folks, have you done the hard work on your football fantasy roster this week? Take all that hard work and turn it into real cash with prize picks. Simply pick two or more players and decide if they'll go over or under their stat projection. For week two, I love the under on Mike Davis against the Bucks because of that tough Tampa run defense. And I like the over on Aaron Jones in a rebound game against the Lions after Detroit allowed 104 yards to Elijah Mitchell. Download the Prize Picks app today or visit prizepicks.com. And if you deposit this week with promo code 4 for 4, that's 4FOR4, you'll get a $100 instant deposit bonus, match dollar for dollar. Prize Picks is hands down the most fun, fast, and easy way to play daily fantasy sports. Prizepicks.com, play today. So let's talk a little buy or sell. Uh, you know, every week that's what people want to know. You asked about buying the backup players in uh, Los Angeles, Chris. Let's talk about some of these other players. Uh, I want to start with you, Jen. Elijah Mitchell, 19 carries, 104 yards, a touchdown, 
5.5 yards per carry for the 49ers up against Detroit. Trey Sermon, a surprise inactive. Uh, he's probably going to go for a lot of waiver money. Are you buying Elijah Mitchell as the new lead back in San Francisco, especially with Raheem Mostert out at least eight weeks? I don't know if we can – I don't know if you can buy anyone as a lead back in San Francisco with – the way they work things and the way, you know, Kyle Shanahan runs the show. I feel like, I feel like if he's kind of like a three quarter fullback, I don't even know how, whatever, but I just feel like, um, I am buying him as far as the waiver wire. If you need quarter or running back help, I'm down with it. I wouldn't blow a ton of fab because I feel like, once we start to get comfy with Eliza, Elijah Mitchell, I feel like something else will happen, and, and all of a sudden Trey Sermon will be, you know, a thing, or they'll pull out, you know, and we can't forget Jeff Wilson is coming back at some point. But no, I mean, I guess bottom line is yes, I'm buying Eliza Mitchell. I don't know that I would spend too, too much money on him because I just, it's not like another uh, backfield situation on a different team where, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. With Shanahan, you just don't know. You know, it's kind of like a Belichick situation. I mean, not really, but mm -hmm. that same kind of where it's it's never quite what you think it's going to be. Chris, uh, were you as surprised as I was by the Trey Sermon inactive report? Yes, um, <laughs> and I would say that this is one of those situations where I feel like the beat writers failed us. I'm trying to figure out where in any of the news reported during the offseason had indicated that this was even in the range of outcomes for somebody like Trey Sermon. I mean, after they traded up in order to in order to draft him, we hear at least, let's say, I wouldn't say negative negative reports like out of camp, but at the very least, I cannot seem to recall like any sort of beat writer or any sort of tweet like from any of the local folks or even like a Kyle Shanahan press conference indicating that this was ever in the range of outcomes for him. So I, I'm, I was really stunned to hear about that almost similarly, oh, less so with Zach Moss and like the Buffalo situation. But regardless, I mean, looking at Elijah Mitchell's athletic profile coming out of Louisiana Lafayette, I get the enamor like with him. If you're looking at uh, his like athletic profile, 4-4-40 time at his pro day, He's got burst. He's got agility. He's got speed. I mean, his from an athletic standpoint, he fits in well from an archetype of the running backs that they currently have. I mean, why were we so excited about Raheem Mostert at 29 years of age? Like, why are we excited about Raheem Mostert? Well, was because of his explosiveness. He still had it, like even at his advanced age, like for a running back. And Elijah Mitchell has that also in spades. It's just that Elijah Mitchell happens to be like almost six years younger than him, and healthy. So. I think moving forward, it makes sense to be somewhat aggressive on picking him up. But like Jen mentioned, he well, one, Raheem Mostert's supposed to be back, or at least hopefully we'll see if that winds up uh, winds up being the case. He'll be back. Uh, Jeff Wilson's supposed to be back. Trey Sermon should be active now. At least he'll be forced back into the mix somehow. So we'll see if like the workload continues to be at least there, if the efficiency and the San Francisco uh, run blocking, or not run blocking, but their ability to uh, pass or to uh, create those lanes for their running backs continues to be the case. So I get why folks want to rush their waiver wire and pick him up, but we'll see how <laughs> that works in theory, like as their other running backs become healthy. Yeah, I, uh, I, 
I, I'm always a little nervous too, but it's sure exciting uh, to see like a young, I'm always excited when a young back does well. Let's shift to uh, the Saints, Marcus Callaway, uh, the big waiver ad for week one, only two targets. Uh, now he was uh, lined up against Jair Alexander for much of the game. I think half the snaps he was lined up against uh, Alexander, and that's uh, one of the best corners in the game. Uh, and then Juwan Johnson, uh, only three catches, 21 yards, but had two touchdowns. Is uh, Jen, are you buying Juwan Johnson as a tight end one? And are you uh, out on Marcus Callaway, or do you think it was just a bad game? I think it was just a bad game with, with a tough shadow. And I think that Juwan Johnson... Uh, I mean, I, th I think Adam Troutman is not dead, and I don't know that that's going to happen. I think, you know, I think it was, it was a weird game altogether. I mean, Jameis Winston, you know, his stat line was really bizarre too. And so I don't know if we can kind of run with Juwan Johnson as a tight end one just based on that game. I think we've had enough history and seen how weird the tight end position is to kind of get too excited about that. I think he could be a streamer, you know, if it comes down to it, but I wouldn't drop you know, someone like a, a Logan Thomas or, you know, I wouldn't drop, you know, or Higby or anything like that and rush out and get Juwan Johnson. Mm -hmm. I think he's fine as, as a speculative ad if you, you know, need the help or if you're thinking about streaming or if you punted it to begin with. But um, I don't think we should get super, super excited yet because this may just be a weird game or he may have another one of these games, you know, five games from now and do nothing in between. Chris, have you seen, uh, does it seem like people are going to cut bait with Callaway? And if so, should people pick him up? I think folks might cut bait on Callaway for, for a couple of reasons. Like one, he didn't produce. But then, uh, but two, we just look at how many different pass catchers like were available for Jameis Winston this past week. I mean, we're looking at at least four different wide receivers from Deontay Harris. Uh, Chris Hogan was actually involved like at some point, which is like ridiculous to, uh, ridiculous to think about. 7-11, baby. 7-11. 2021. I mean, but also the tight ends getting involved, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, like Adam Troutman, Juwan Johnson, the running backs obviously getting involved with Alan Kamara and also Tony Jones. So we thought going into week one that really the pass catcher situation for the Saints was just going to be Marcus Calloway, Marcus Calloway uh, Alvin Kamara and then everybody else and those in the and the targets would be concentrated on those two guys but I will I'll have to hand it to Sean Payton on really being able to adjust that offense to like losing their Hall of Fame quarterback getting Jameis Winston who like and don't get me wrong I, I love Jameis Winston as a quarterback but having that switch from a from a quarterback that they've had for like well over a decade to Jameis Winston and being able to win in such a solid fashion against the Packers, I thought was really well done, like uh, from Sean Payton in that, I mean, from the public's perception, and it's entirely possible mm -hmm. that from the public, they also, the, that perception of them being weak from a pass catching standpoint and Marcus Callaway being their number one wide receiver, that probably filtered down to the Packers as well because they didn't know what to expect like from that offense. And so if you trot out, Marcus Callaway as your wide receiver one, but you've got capable <laughs> pass catchers in Troutman, Deontay Harris, who like who took that long touchdown. I mean, Juwan Johnson, Chris Hogan, these other guys that can also contribute. That's how you're able to fool like at least a, let's say above average defense, or at least a pass coverage defense. So I wouldn't like, while I wouldn't drop Callaway because he ran the most routes out of all of the pass catchers on Sunday, I wouldn't understand why folks would want to quickly move on from him. Am I trying to scoop him up? 
I mean, I think those like their their good days will come. If that is going to be the case, like if he's going to be the one out there running the most routes, like for like for the pass catchers, then sure, I I still would consider him to be at least a wide receiver one from a schematic standpoint. It's just is Jameis Winston is he going to command the target share in order for us to have him even as a wide wide receiver two wide receiver three? After this past week, I don't know. It's hard for us to say that he's going to even get to a like 18 to 20 percent target share that would really want us to really make us keep him in in the lineup. So if he gets dropped and you've got the bench space, yeah, why not go ahead and pick him up and see what happens? Yeah, who knew we'd be uh, saying Jameis in efficiency Winston? Who knew that that's, would happen? That's that, post that seems... LASIK Jameis. That's why. And post. That's right. Post LASIK Jameis. That's right. Uh, so I, I want to let's. You were talking about bad off or uh, offenses. What to do with him now that we have a little more clarity? The spreading the ball around with Winston. Uh, let's go to a couple of bad offenses uh, that nobody really invested any money in. Uh, that looked a little better than maybe we thought. Uh, the Patriots were out there uh, throwing the ball. Mac Jones. Uh, Nelson Aguilar had seven targets, 72 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jacoby Myers had nine targets, only like 40 yards, but he, you know, caught six balls. So it, it seems like maybe the pass catchers in New England might have some value. And then the Houston Texans, you know, Tyrod Taylor, 291 yards, two touchdowns, 40 rushing yards. The tight end, Farrell Brown, four of five targets, 67. Mark Ingram led the team in rushing with 26 carries, 85 yards, and a touchdown. Jen, uh, Patriots and Texans offense. Are you buying or selling any parts of those two offenses? Uh, well, I ha- you know, I already have some some Jacoby Myers that I, I kind of talked myself into. Or I think maybe you talked me into him on a pod at one point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, why not? I mean, if you're in a position where you need the help, uh, I think that those two, both Aguilar and Myers, are fine as far as picking them up. Um, when it comes to the Texans, I, uh, I mean, as we had talked about this at one point. I already actually invested in some Cooks because I felt like he was in a position that uh, he was going to get a lot of balls. And I think that will still be the case. Um, I think, listen, if you're in super flex leagues and you need help, I think Taylor, you know, is going to be fine. He's someone that a lot of people didn't necessarily believe in. People weren't really sure of the situation, if he was actually going to be the QB um, now that he showed up and um, did a pretty decent job. I think he's definitely worth an ad if you're in a, not, I mean, not necessarily in a one QB league and redraft, you shouldn't really need him, but uh I think in, in Superflex and two QB leagues, I think he's someone that uh, could possibly help your team if you if you need it. And um, Mark Ingram, ah, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. It, it, uh, this offseason was so weird with the Texans' backfield. And as you know, I was super on board with Philip Lindsay, thinking that he was going to emerge right away. And he did have a decent game. I know he dropped. Uh, I think he dropped a pass in the end zone, but then he ended up getting in at some point, and he did all right. Um, Ingram, I don't know if he can continue um, to, to lead that backfield. I don't know if he will continue to lead that backfield. Uh, he's someone that I guess if you're in a league where you know you can pick him up for cheap, why not? I wouldn't go out and make a big trade for him, but I think on a waiver wire situation and you need the depth and he's going to sit there, why not? Oh, and then Farrell Brown you asked about too. Farrell uh, Brown is interesting. I mean, I kind of – it's funny. I was kind of on Jordan Akins coming in um, – not as someone to draft and redraft, but someone to kind of keep your eye on for streaming or someone that could possibly emerge at one point. Um, but it was interesting. Pharaoh Brown, I mean, I didn't really know who he was, but I was looking at him today. He's like 6'6". He's massive. And, I mean, he had a lot of, you know, he had five targets. So he's someone to watch at least, for, that's for sure. Chris, uh, are you buying any of these two offenses? I know uh, going into the season, like I said, I, I know you weren't real – 
high on either one of them, as was nobody. <laughs> um, did week one change your mind, or are you still kind of sitting on the fence? Uh, for for Houston, I mean, Terod Taylor made Danny Amendola relevant in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Danny Amendola. But that's where we're at with this offense. So, yes, at least I I want to try and buy into this hype because it's ridiculous to think that after all of the jokes that we made at the Texans' expense over the offseason, and rightfully so, but it's just for me, like, Taylor has been one of those guys to root for. Um, Like, one of the – what's the analogy? He's like the anti-Teddy Bridgewater where, like, like, Taylor, he's moved around from, like, bad offense to bad offense – and like the offenses have gotten better, like after he's left, like Teddy, he's like he's moved around from offense to offense, but all his offenses have been good. Like, how do you go from like the Minnesota Vikings when they were bad to like, you know, to New Orleans, like with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, like and Michael Thomas at his peak, and then move over to Carolina, you know, with DJ Moore, like Robbie Anderson, then now over to Denver with like you know with Jerry Judy. Well, now he's down, but Cortland Sutton, no offense, like so on and so forth. So it's like Taylor's been put in these just like awful situations, and yet. In week one, he just comes out and stuns the entire league with a like he was fifth in EPA per play, I mean, which is ridiculous given the pass catchers that were sitting there in front of him. Again, Danny Amendola. I can't believe I'm saying that in 2021. <laughs> like we were just we were just talking about Chris Hogan, and now we're talking about Danny Amendola. What year is this? So it's I'm buying in. I want to buy into this offense. Now in week two they play against Cleveland, so it's going to be difficult. But uh, this uh, you know. Heads, heads up, Jen, uh, when she sees my uh, streaming quarterback column, this will be like later tonight, like way later tonight at this point. Uh, the Houston Texans, they play against the Carolina Panthers in week three. So that's not the worst streaming option if you're looking ahead for a streaming quarterback. So I kind of do want to buy into this offense because it could be fun with Brandon Cooks and like all the rest of the pass catchers. So and it all intersects at Tyrod, who's also still rushing as well, who provides like some element of production on the ground. So mm-hmm. while it might look gross rostering a Houston Texan like outside of Brandon Cooks, I mean, we at least have to think about things objectively. And right now, objectively, with just one uh, one week's worth of data, Terod Taylor looks like a solid uh, like streaming quarterback option. Always adds a little on the on the rushing side too. It's always made Taylor interesting. Absolutely, uh, I'm I'm buying Farrell Brown in my tight end. Uh, you know, in my. Uh, tight end heavy where the scoring favors the tight end leagues i'm doing that a little bit all right let's uh let's close out let's looking ahead uh one thing each of us looking ahead you talked about brandon cooks that's my one thing just a reminder to everyone brandon cooks he's pretty good everywhere he goes always drafted pretty low started the season off five catches seven targets 132 yards uh brandon cooks is a good player i just just a reminder looking ahead for everybody chris what's your uh one thing you want to mention looking ahead for everyone Let's not overlook the rookie quarterbacks. I know, like, Trevor Lawrence was the talk of the town, like, on Sunday because of, like, how poorly the Jaguars played. And then now with those rumors about uh, Urban Meyer, like, possibly leaving, like, and completely quitting on the team after just one week. And the USC job, like, opened up, like, uh, coincidentally as well. But we'll see how that works out. But the rookie quarterbacks, they were fairly good. I mean, from a from a statistical standpoint, so while at least efficient uh, efficiency-wise, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, low in terms of completion percentage over expected, but I am kind of, conf- but neither of them ran. Like they weren't mobile. Trevor Lawrence, we know, can scramble and can move with the best of them. Same with Zach Wilson, like when he was still at BYU. So with 
without seeing that element of their game here in week one, I do think that there are better days ahead of them and their respective offenses. And if they start doing that as well, like adding production on the ground, I mean, it's absolute wheels up for those guys. So I'm excited to see where all of the rookie quarterbacks go from Justin Fields, like so on and so forth. I'm thinking he's going to take over for Andy Dalton sooner rather than later after last night. So it's just those are the guys that we should be looking for on the waiver wire and just kind of, you know, penciling in like when we see them becoming like larger pieces of their offense or when we start to see their full like range of outcomes and their full mobility and their uh, their ab abilities on the field start to get realized. Well, mine, interesting enough, you talked you talked a little bit here about Trevor Lawrence. My looking ahead is about the Jaguars offense. So they were pretty gross uh, Sunday. We, we can all agree they were pretty gross. However, um, what, what I did see and what, what is interesting to me is, you know, I, I guess it's a continuing a pattern of the old days of Bortles and, and whatnot, but you know, the garbage time situation in Jacksonville is very appealing. You've got you know the garbage time at the end of a game against a prevent defense, which could be almost every week, right? And we're looking at, so, so Marvin Jones had 16.2 fantasy points. DJ Chark had 16.1, LaVisca had 9.4, and then James O'Shaughnessy had 7.8 on 10 targets. So, I mean, Marvin Jones was wide receiver 18, Chark was wide receiver 19. I mean, on a really bad offense that didn't play well, you're still getting wide receiver 2 production out of those guys. So, looking ahead, scooping up, you know, some of the Jacksonville components um, is not a bad idea, even though they're not very good. Because you've got garbage time, prevent defense, fantasy points. Yeah, the, I'm I'm here for the return of of Bortles points in Jacksonville. I'm I'm here for that. Uh, thank you so much, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Listeners, don't forget to to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good day.